Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. illustration before, but, but what, what is the idea when I want to hold these up? What, what, what is it that we're articulating? God, God goggles, right? G, yeah, we, we can call it anything. We, we can call it Jesus bifocals, right? However you want to describe it. But the idea is that seeing things the way that God says they are, right? I'm, I'm literally taking off my worldview and putting on the worldview of the God who created the world. And now I see things the way that he has said they are. And just throwing this out there, he probably knows because he's kind of the one that went put it there. Right? He kind of understands that stuff. He's, he's God. So we've been talking in Galatians 3 and this whole idea of Jesus plus. What is it you're adding to the gospel? What is it that you're trying to, to lump in with Christ's work of death, burial, and resurrection on the cross? to then bring about salvation. Because nothing we can bring to the party makes it any better. Jesus plus what equals salvation? Nothing. Nothing. Loud and proud. We're going to talk a lot today, right? Jesus plus nothing brings about salvation. It's just Jesus and what he's done, right? So no amount of money that you're going to put in an offering plate, no amount of Hail Marys or works will ever replace the faith that we put in Christ, literally believing that what he said is true, that it's his world anyway. So let's do some background, right? Because we want to make sure we understand what's going on in Galatians. There's some of us that, that haven't been here for our first two, um, first two sermons in one and two. They had the atonement system before, right? So in the atonement system, if, you're in, if you've come to Bible Fellowship, uh, Pastor Todd's going through this in Leviticus as well. Right? You would, uh, before Christ, a sacrifice was offered for atonement uh, or covering over of sin, right? Remember, what, what was the picture that we used last week? A blanket. What was the idea with the blanket? Covering sin, exactly. So you had atonement, right? So what would happen is... The, the, the shedding of the blood of these animals through the sacrificial system would literally cover over the sin of God's people. The sin was not gone, it was covered over. And we use that idea of a blanket with pillows underneath it, and it was kind of lumpy, right? It still served the purpose, the sin was covered over, atonement had taken place, but the sin was still there. God had looked away from the sin, it was not within his view, that's the idea. In the passage. So Christ comes to the party, and then what he does is after Christ's sacrifice, sin would no longer be covered over, it would literally be cleansed, literally washed away, right? So the image that we used is blankets picked up, Jesus' blood, and this is a bloody thing, would literally cleanse the sin of the world. It would be gone. And then when you lay that blanket down, it's not lumpy anymore. It's how it's supposed to be. That was the atonement system. So we're going to cover all of Scripture today. You guys excited about that? We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to do like the whole thing. We're, we're, we're going to cover it all. Because did Abraham have the atonement system? No, it was a little different for him, right? So how does that fit? Well, that's one of the things Paul's going to cover 
this morning with us. So what were our three key terms? You guys remember the first one? Say it loud and proud. Justification. Louder and prouder. One, two, three. Which means what? Finding God. Okay, I know it's a big word, but it's finding God. That's the idea. So I'm literally justified before the God of the universe. I am made righteous. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's just what we read. His blood paid for that. Being justified before God can only happen by the work of God. I didn't do anything. I can't be good enough, right? It's Jesus' righteousness. But remember, the problem that they're dealing with in Galatians is they're getting justification mixed up with the second term, which was what? Sanctification. Following God, right? That was the second idea, okay? So I'm righteous before God, okay? I put on God goggles. I see the world the way he says it is. I give my life over to him. I say, Jesus' work paid for my sin. I, I am now a Christ follower. Now begins the process of following God, sanctification. It's a different thing. And the problem in Galatians is the folks that we're dealing with, which we'll cover a little bit more in depth in a moment, they were taking sanctification, following God, and turning it into finding God. And that's not how it works. How could sanctification be different between a Jew and a Gentile? A Jew still has to follow the law. Why? Because God said so. Nice job, man. Because God said so. God said, here are the laws in which you will live. And guess what? There, uh, a lot of these do forever. Right? So forever means kind of forever. Because he's God. You know, when he says forever, he means forever. He doesn't mean till next Tuesday. Right? To a Gentile, not a Jewish person, following God looked different. Following God was not the same thing. What's another way this plays out? We talked about it last week for us. What's that? Oh, you're okay. Guys, girls, sanctification process for a guy looks a little bit different than the sanctification process for a lady. Remember the illustration we used, right? If there's a lady in the church who maybe isn't wearing what, what would, you know, we would say is appropriate clothing, right? It's not the older guys in the church's role to go then and talk to her. Right? That's a terrible idea. Can we all nod and just agree that that's a bad move? Right? There are other things that guys are more equipped to follow God in, in roles that he has called us in. It's different. Sanctification for a guy is different than sanctification for a girl. It's following God. It's not knowing God. It's not being made righteous before God. That's different. We all have salvation. We've all given our life to Jesus. And if you hadn't, do that right now. Let's get real. I mean, for okay, we need to make sure we understand that, right? But then the third key term, I won't make you say this one because it's got a bunch of vowels in it, is antinomianism, right? <laughs> so the idea behind this was grace good, law bad, right? So we hear this over and over and over again a lot of times in churches today, but it's not a new idea. It's been going around for a very long time. The idea is that because Christ paid for all of my sin, I can do whatever I want whenever I want, and I don't have to really follow him. I'm not in the sanctification process. I'm justified. I'm fine. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. Do you hear the ridiculousness of that? Read James. You know, real faith in action. 
shows something, you're, you're following God, right? If you have a mindset that would be antinomianism, we need to check our hearts and find out where we are in our relationship with the God we serve. Because if we think that we can just do whatever we want and Christ paid for our sin, it's true that he paid for all of your sin, but have you met the God of the universe? Because he saved you and it's part of a bigger plan. It's not just for you, right? All make sense? You guys are doing great. Okay, we're almost there. That brings us to our key principle. Faith has always been the key ingredient in justification, okay? God did all the work. God paid for our sin. But if we don't believe that the world is the way God says it is, if we don't have faith in who God is, there's no justification. We, 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 we go to God. He finds us, right? If, if we don't believe him, if we don't really think that he's the God of the universe, you're not accepting the sacrifice that is Christ. You're not acknowledging it. You're, you, you don't believe in that. And you don't have a righteous standing before him because you're standing before him as your own righteousness, as your own good choices. But that doesn't stand up to the God of the universe. That pales in comparison. All of that to say, we're going to be in Galatians 3. You guys ready? All right, cool. The way that we frame this is five principles of justification. And justification is finding or following God. Which one? Finding. Nice job. All right, cool. So let's read Galatians chapter 3. Remember that where Paul's at in this letter, he's been writing to them. Okay, remember Paul didn't put chapter 3, right? This is one continuous letter that he's written to the Galatians. And their problem was they were trying, they had these people come in, the Judaizers, right? And remember what they were doing. They were saying that you need to then follow the laws of the Jews when the folks that he's writing to are not Jews, they're Gentiles. That's the issue. Paul begins with this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, and are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know that when it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. 
To give a human example, brothers, even when a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make those promises void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23, now before the faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. How are you feeling about that? Remember, Paul's writing this letter, and if you remember how chapter 6 begins, he says, I apologize with how big my letters are, because he's fervently writing this to them. So as we go through this, we're going to unpack it in more detail now. But remember the argument that he is going up against. The argument is, Paul watered down the gospel to you, Galatians. Paul took the gospel of Jesus and made it just about Jesus so that it was easier for you, so that he could get more converts. That's what they said to these folks. And Paul is writing to combat that. He's saying, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. You do not have to live by the law because you are a Gentile. But what law are we talking about? Atonement law. Do you guys remember atonement law? We talked about that at the beginning. Right? Atonement law was changed. But the laws of their lives are all the same. If you're a Jew, you are to live like a Jew. Your sanctification process looks like this. If you're a Gentile, don't live like a Jew because you're not a Jew. So let's begin these five principles of justification. You guys ready? Everybody ready? Eyes up. I know it's a lot of reading. We good? A lot of big words. Craziness? All right. Principles of justification. The first principle is the empowerment principle. You see this in verses 1 through 5. This is a principle you see over and over and over again through Scripture. Holy Spirit empowerment comes from justification. When we find God, when we are made righteous before God because we have given our life over to Him, there's this salvation that happens from Him. The Spirit is implanted on us. Doing does not bring about Justification. Remember, sitting in this seat didn't save a single person this morning. It's not how it works. Faith. 
Faith is the key ingredient in that justification. So notice how Paul begins by calling them foolish. Because remember, Paul doesn't exactly mince words. He's worried about their, their salvation. He's worried about their walk with God. Sanctification following God was different for them. Paul says that the Holy Spirit, it came... He, oh, let me rephrase this. He asks them a question. He basically proposes, what's your timeline? Look in these first five verses. Here's what he's saying. When I came to you and I preached the gospel to you, did the Holy Spirit show up and people start being healed when you started practicing the law or when you heard the gospel? What happened? Did you start all of a sudden you know, following the festivals of the Jewish people and you know, their dietary laws and then were people healed? No. The Holy Spirit came when I declared the gospel to you and you heard it and you responded with your faith. That's when the Spirit was imprinted upon you. You got the empowerment of the God of the universe not from doing. It didn't come from your practical walking through the law. It didn't come from that. It came from hearing the gospel and responding to it. That's where he starts with them. So what does that look like for us? Max, our son, plays football, right? Okay, he's eight years old. We signed him up for football. He didn't try out for football. We signed him up, right? He's not to the age where you try out for teams yet. And when, he, when he, we signed him up, he got pads. Pads are kind of important. Would we agree with that, right? I mean, a kid's got a big old hard head, but let's, let's be real. We don't want him to get him hurt. Okay, so he gets these pads, and he goes to practice four times a week for about an hour and a half to two hours. He works really hard. Does the practice give him the pads? No, the pads were just given to him. Going through the motions and going through practice didn't give him the pads, but guess what? He needs the pads. Because when he gets in the game, if he doesn't have the pads, he's worthless to his team. He, he, he can't play without pads on. We cannot have a walk with Christ. We cannot follow God without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you know when you get that? When you have your justification. When He saves us. He imprints us with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people running around the field without any pads on. That's what I'm saying. Do you get it? There's a lot of people who have not surrendered their life over to Jesus Christ, have not given their life to Him, they don't have pads on, and they wonder why it hurts. They wonder why it's not working out. They wonder what's wrong. That's a big problem. You don't earn your pads. You don't earn the Holy Spirit. God gives it to you. It's part of the salvation package, if you want to use that term. It's part of it. And when the Holy Spirit leads you, it does not mean everything's great. In fact, a lot of times it's really, really hard. But it means He knows what's going on. And you're empowered by the God of the universe. And you didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to get it. He signed you up. That's, that's who God is. How are you doing with it? Are you following the Holy Spirit in your own life? Do you have the Holy Spirit? If the God of the universe has implanted you with His very Spirit, things are different. Your life is different. The people around you notice it. He calls you to interact with them. 
How are you doing with taking the Holy Spirit into the community in which he's called you? Where are you at? If you walk into a room and literally the God of the universe is with you, it should be a little different. The next one you notice, this is in verses 6 through 9. This is the tried and true principle. Justification has always been based on faith and what God says is true. Without that faith in God, a sacrifice was worthless. Faith is what brought about the righteousness. You see this in verses 6 through 9. It says, just as Abraham believed. So notice how Paul progresses in this. He continues with the argument. He says, the Spirit came to you. Remember, you were, you were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Because remember, the problem is atonement law, right? Atonement, covering of sin, is now abolished. So Paul takes him back to Abraham. And he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was righteous before God and no atonement system was in place. He literally predated the system. The justification process was the same. Faith in what God says is true. That's what saved Abraham. He believed God. So Paul is taking them, and remember, you have to understand the context of who he's talking to. He's saying to them, guys, what they're telling you doesn't even make sense, because Abraham didn't have the atonement system. He didn't have the laws. He was before Israel was a nation. He literally was the dude that God said, you're going to be the leader of the nation. I'm creating the nation through you. He predated all of it. The system that God has in place for justification for finding God is the same. Believing what God says is true. It's always been that way. That's a picture of a chili pepper red 1999 Jeep Cherokee. A lot of you are probably wondering, what the heck? Why is there a chili pepper red Jeep Cherokee? My dad bought our first new car as a family, that one. 1999, obviously. So he bought the car, right? And he's a, he was a car salesman, and loved that car. I named her Lorelei, and she ran forever. We drove that thing through signs, through, you know, just, it was, it was bad. We treated her really, really bad. But she got up to like 300,000 miles, and she's still on the road today. Serious. She's still on the road. She's got over 300,000 miles on her, okay? Lorelei tried and true. You could run that thing into a nuclear bomb and she'd be all right. Sarah and I got multiple cars since I had that thing, and it had over 200,000 miles when I got it, and I joked with her that it was going to outlast all the other cars, and it has. It's tried and true. God's system for saving us is tried and true. It still works. It's no different. He may use different illustrations or images to, to point it out to us, but it's the same system. It's believing that what God says is true is true. And if God says, believe me, and Abraham believes him, it's credited to him as righteousness. Do you see it? Do you, do you see how this justification thing works? And do you see how Paul systematically is attacking this argument? Because remember, he's talking to people and he's not in the room. These people are bashing Paul's personal uh, walk. They're, 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 they're talking about him in, in ways that it would be terrible. 
And he's writing to them because he's so concerned for these Galatians. So how are you doing with your God goggles? How are you doing with that? Are you, are you seeing things the way that God says they are? Or are you so hung up in your circumstances that you've, you've thrown these out the window? Like, I'm not, even, I'm, not even, I'm not even paying attention to this right now because I got the 40 other problems I got to deal with. I know God says, yeah, whatever, he saved me, and yeah, that means that I have a life with him, and blah, 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 blah. But I got to pay the rent. But I, I got to get a job. I, I got to deal with what's going on with my family, right? When you put these on, it does not mean that those problems don't go away. The problems are still there. But what it means is you're seeing them through the lens of what he says they are. It's part of a fallen world. And he is greater. He is tried and true. He has paid for your sin. Amen, right? Can I get an amen? Seriously. He paid for our sin. Next thing, I call it the problem principle. This is in verses 10 through 14. Now, this is the part where Paul starts talking about this curse thing, right? Was anybody else like, hey, what's he talking about? A curse. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The problem with justification or the justification system under the law was that you had to do it again. It would, you'd have to pay for the sin again. Another sacrifice would have to happen. The sacrifice Christ made was the turning point. Now atonement law was replaced with his sacrifice. That's the illustration that you've heard 47 times, and you'll hear another 47 times, right? Smooth blanket now. Did not mean that we don't go to God through faith, right? That's still there. But now it's through faith in what Christ did in his sacrifice. For Abraham, it was faith that God knew what he was doing and that he would follow him. For the Jewish people, it was faith in the killing of these animals would pay for our sins. It would cover them because God set up that system. Now for us, it's faith in who Jesus is and the work that he's done. It's God building on his promises. They're not any different. The circumstances look different, but it's all the same idea. Do you see the picture up there? I know it's kind of small, but that's a yard before it's mowed and after it's mowed. The problem with the justification system under the law was the grass still grew. You had to get the mower again next week. My wife knows all about that. She's one of the ones who helps out mowing the, the you know, a million acres that we have outside the church building. Right? The grass grows again. It's Florida. It's like wintertime and the grass still grows. It's crazy. That was the problem. So when he says the curse of it, that's what he's saying. The curse is that it would have to happen again. You would have to sacrifice again. And what he's saying is the curse is now gone. And why is the curse gone? Because Christ literally became the curse for us. Do you see it? Christ literally took on the curse of habitual sacrifice to pay for the sin of the people and then for the world. This is going to sound really silly, but I think it hits home. The grass would never have to be cut again. Do you see it? The grass is clean. Now what that is, right? I know, it's silly, but that's the point. 
Now, it does not mean that we then do whatever we want. It's a free-for-all because my yard looks great. I still have a sanctification process of following God. But my yard is mowed. And everything that needs to be done is done for my justification with who God is. How you doing with knowing that your yard is freshly cut before the God of the universe? You know what one of the greatest tricks the enemy uses? He gets you to question everything because you're all hung up in your own sin that you're not taking it to God. And you, you don't pause on the fact that you are made righteous before the God of the universe because of what Jesus did. Do you see it? Over and over and over again, it happens in our life. We get hung up in a sin, we're doing this, and we're not focusing on who God is, and then we spend a week, a month, six months, a year, ten years, hung up in our own problem because we didn't realize that we are righteous before the God of the universe because of Jesus. He paid for all of the sin of the world. The curse is broken. He took it upon himself. Again, does not mean we do whatever we want. But what it also means is that we can have confidence in going to God. Because he already knows. And it's already paid for. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And notice at the end of verse 14, this is what Paul writes. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What he's saying there is the promise of blessing of the world has come. And it's come, and we know it's come because of the stamp of the Holy Spirit. Because God has given us the Holy Spirit that he promised. That's who God is. Next one is the building blocks principle. Almost done. Verses 15 through 18. God promise, God's promises do not invalidate one another. They build upon each other. God's giving of the law didn't change the promise he made before Abraham. So Paul then switches to an illustration. Okay, So read this in verse 15. He says, To give a human example, brothers, even when a man-made covenant... No one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. What he's saying is, is once an agreement is established and it's agreed to, shake, okay, sign on the dotted line, what, what have you, you don't then go back and add to it and edit it. The agreement has been made, right? What he's saying is, is the covenant that God has made before his people, right, all the way back to Genesis, right? So you got Abraham, you got Noah, you got Moses, you got all of these covenants, David. Those covenants didn't abolish the others. Those promises that God made built upon each other to all point us towards what he's going to do through Jesus. Do you see it? Paul says the giving of the law didn't invalidate Abe's righteousness, but it built upon what was already established in the truth of God. It was always through God's promised word, not the law. If it came by the law, God would be breaking his previous covenant with Abraham. God doesn't work that way. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. God's story 
is a very precise narrative. He has built it. He knows what's going to happen. He's aware of everything. He's planned it out. It's measured. Everything is done. He's an architect who's built a 75-story scraper, skyscraper, and he knows every floor, what it's going to look like. He didn't go to floor 12 and then change his mind and do something over here. He knew beforehand. He planned it all out. Everything builds upon the previous revelation. Read the book of Revelation and see how the gospel changes there. It's still about who Christ is, but if Christ comes back, how cool is that that that's now part of the, of the gospel message? Right? Read it. It's, I'm not, we don't have time to go through it right now, but what I mean is it's progressive revelation, right? It's none, it doesn't invalidate anything that came before, but what it does is it shows that God's in control of it all and he knows. Final one, the illustration principle. You see this in verses 19 through 27. God used the atonement system to help illustrate to the world how Jesus would bring about justification. By setting up that system and using it for generations, people would better understand what Christ did. This is, this is really cool because he says all of this stuff and then he asks a question. Why the law then? Why the law? And remember the law he's talking about is atonement. He's talking about the sacrificial system. So why the sacrificial system then? Okay? If God saved Abraham, okay, I, I know this is a lot, but focus here. If God saved Abraham through belief, right, Abraham didn't have to kill anything. He followed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So why would God create a sacrificial system for, his Jew, for the Jewish people? Why would he do that? Paul asked that question. And he says, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to when the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. It is the law then contrary to the promises of God. What he's saying is, is I set up a system. God set this up. And he said, this is the way in which you will come to me. And I will pick out a nation, the Israelite people, the Hebrews. They will be my people. And then if someone wants to come to me during that time span of human history, they will come to me through the nation of Israel. Then when the nation of Israel does not follow God, he sets them aside for a time. Christ comes. It's opened up for the Gentiles. And guess what? He had promised that from the beginning with Abraham. I know this is a lot, but focus. This is really important. So he goes back to the Abrahamic time and says, through you, the entire, all the nations will be blessed. And guess what? I'm going to set up a sacrificial system with my people that's going to be bloody and gruesome and horrific because if I don't, they won't understand why I killed my son. They won't see it. If I allow my son to die on a cross and there's no sacrificial system to place context around it, they're not going to get it. So there's going to be so many years where this is going to be a regular system in place where they're going to understand what a sacrifice is. They're going to get it. And then when I put my son up on that cross and I allow him to be killed, they will get what sacrifice means. They will understand it. I will use my son as a living illustration for everything. That's what he did. That's what God did. How amazing is that? He literally says that he would use the atonement system 
as a tutor or a guardian to get us to where we would understand that. And we still don't get it. I still don't understand. But he set it all in place all so that he could redeem the world. He was redeeming his own creation because his own creation said, no, I don't want to follow you. God blessed the world through Abraham. Salvation would now be open to the Gentiles. But he's not done with that. And if, if anyone thinks that he's done with the Jewish people, you know, read Romans or Revelation because he goes back to them. Any, you know, King of Kings, Lord of Lords coming in. It's the Jewish people looking upon the one that they pierced. And he's saving them in that moment. That's how big God is. He'd set up a system that would be perfected with Christ. The sacrificial system or atonement was now completed in Jesus. Justification was open to everyone. Why do you care? Okay, we just went through Galatians. It was heavy, guys. I know that. This is a heavy, heavy uh, book. It's a heavy letter that Paul writes because it's dealing with a lot of theological heavy terms. But why do you care? Without faith in Christ, all the works in the world are meaningless. Everything you do is meaningless if you haven't accepted who Christ is. If you've not put on your God goggles and said, I believe in the sacrifice that Jesus made. If you haven't done that, all the works in the world, all the soup kitchens, all the sitting in a chair, putting money in an offering plate is meaningless. It, it, it's nothing. Justification comes with an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Trust and follow Him. I think we get to the point where we, we accept who Jesus is, but then that moment of then going, oh, okay, the Holy Spirit's now inside. Okay, He's, he's directing me. I don't trust. We're missing the point there. We, we trusted Him for our salvation. We trusted Him to justify us. But now we don't trust to walk with Him in the following God process. God's plan for the salvation of the world was declared publicly at the fall. Go back and read Genesis. Everything since then has proven His plan is true and trustworthy. Every single thing that has happened is God saying, Yep, I called it, I said this would happen, and I know what's going to happen next, and I still love you. I still know what you're going to do when you walk out of this room two hours from now, and I still love you. God loves the world He created so much that He would allow His Son to be a living illustration of sacrifice for all to see. He would set up a system of death and gore to point people back to how serious sin was. And then he would allow that death and gore to be poured upon his son. There's two things here. The first is, we can get so hung up in the horrificness of what Jesus had to go through that we miss the love behind it. And then we can get so hung up in the love behind it that we miss the death and the gore of what he had to go through. Both are true. Both are important. The God of the universe bled and died for you. 
How are we doing with taking that message to our communities? What are we, what are we doing? If he saved you, if he paid for your sin, you've given your life to him, you're justified, you're in the sanctification process, you're following God, how are you doing with showing the world that illustration? Because he already did, and now he's calling you to do the same. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.